Awesome. Well, uh, I guess when you get asked to preach and you get asked to do this, you have to be like super extroverted and nice because John made me sit out there and shake everyone's hand. And uh, that's just not me. But as I was sitting there shaking everyone's hand, smiling, and just getting to see everybody, I just wanted to say thank you. This is, as people were walking in, I just saw face after face after face that over the last 10 years of being here at Radius, just wanted to say thank you for those of you who took countless hours to pour into people like me. Uh, teach me what it means to read the Bible. Teach me what it means to pray. Teach me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To teach me what it means to follow Jesus in college. Thank you. And for the volunteers who continue to put in hours, just pouring into people, man, I'm the fruit of that labor. And so I just say thank you because it's you, that you're the reason I'm standing up here today. So just wanted to say thank you. Let me ask you a question, and maybe it's the person beside you, but have you ever been in a situation to where you are like, hey, I am dead right and everyone else is wrong? Or everyone else is like, you're dead wrong and everyone else is right? Uh, well, it was a couple years ago, actually almost to this date, it was with fireworks, if you see where the story's going. And uh, a couple friends from church invited us over, and they were bringing some other friends from church, and they were going to shoot fireworks off at their dock. And so I was like, okay, I, I like fireworks. I want to go to Walmart and get me the little $20 pack, and so then I can, I can shoot off some too. And so I get the $20 pack, and my family, and we go to uh, show up at this guy's house. And I remember walking on the dock and them having like this arsenal of just cannons. Like, I mean, these things like three foot tall. And he would light them and like all of South Carolina would see. It was the coolest thing in the world. But the thing was, when he lit them, he would back up and he'd have to go back to his stack and there'd be like five minutes in between. And so then I'd put on like a little sparkler show for the kids with my little Walmart thing. But the thing was, while I was doing that, he started to make fun of me. Like he even called me great value at one point. I was like, look, that, I got my Walmart pack, but that don't call me great value, right? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm going through him. He continues to make fun of me. And so then I go, and as he's lighting one, I... <laughs> now, great value just upgraded. And so I'm about to light one of his, and I remember, I'm like, all right, my turn. And, like, I'm so excited. I have a lighter in my hand. I have this huge firework I'm barely holding. I go to set on the ground, and my sister grabs my arm, and she says, hey, do not light that. You don't know what you're doing. I'm like, I have a lighter in my hand and a firework. I know what I'm doing. And so I remember I go to light it, and she said, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're doing with that firework. Do not light it. She kept saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. And finally, I just said, I know what I'm doing. I'm right. Go away. And so she gets off the dock and kind of actually runs off the dock, which I should have took a hint at that. <laughs> but I light it, and I'm getting really excited, so I back up, and I'm watching it. Five seconds later, people are diving into the water. Moms are grabbing their babies, running off the dock. Because the firework that I thought you could just light and it shoot up in the air you're supposed to put it in a tube, and then it would shoot up in the air. And so the ones that, like, blow up 50 feet in the air, they blew up five foot away from us. And so I remember getting off the dock, and my mom was like, what happened? And I tried to blame it on Walmart. And it was just a bunch of stuff. And I get there, and my sister goes, no, he was wrong. He didn't know how to light a firework. He thought he did, but he didn't. I remember thinking about that story and thinking, because I thought I was right, because I thought I believed in something, that led me to do something. You see, my belief in something led to my action. My belief produced a response within me. What we're going to talk about today, and what we've been talking about all throughout Hebrews, is faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think sometimes faith can be a bit of a mystery, can be a bit confusing sometimes. 
Uh, because faith, we have questions like, how do we acquire more faith? It's interesting, Jesus is amazed by two things in Scripture, great faith and a lack of faith. And so talking about faith today and talking about how it should motivate us into action and how it should motivate us to do something, how a true faith in God is never stagnant, but how all that unfolds, uh, hopefully we're going to see today in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11.30. Hebrews 11.30, talking about faith in Jesus, the author of Hebrews says this, Verse 30, he says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. Author of Hebrews is dealing with these people who have such a faith in the Old Testament. You look at the first chapter, first ten chapters of Hebrews, it's Moses, it's the angels, it's the high priestly system, it's the tabernacle, it's sacrifices, it's all this stuff in the Old Testament, and the author of Hebrews is trying to get these people who have turned away, who are starting to turn away from Jesus and what he's done, and turn back to the Old Testament stuff. They're walking away from Christ, and the author of Hebrews is saying, it's not faith in the Old Testament, it's not faith in what you thought, it's faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he writes, again, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. And so we got to ask the question, if he's talking about faith, if he's dealing with these people who are struggling with the Old Testament, why would he bring up the, the walls of Jericho? How does this relate to faith? Hopefully we'll see that today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the time you've given us together. Um, just remembering the families and the people who are hurting, Lord, I just pray your presence would be with them. Like John said, we do pray for healing. So, Lord, I pray you hear our prayers. I pray today, Lord, uh, we would grow to become a people of faith that would move us to something. And so, Lord, give us wisdom as we study your word. Give us wisdom as we learn more about you. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So, if you have your Bible, we're also going to be in Joshua 6. Joshua 6. So, the author of Hebrews, writing this uh, letter to the people who are turning away from Jesus brings back up this argument of Joshua 6. We've been studying all these Old Testament figures, and finally he gets to the Israelites, and he says, this is what by faith looks like. You see the Hebrews, or see the Israelites coming out of the wilderness generation, coming out of uh, all this uh, disobedience of the Lord. God promises them, hey, when you go and cross the Jordan River, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm promising you this uh, this set of land. You're going to conquer the enemies. You're going to just take over the nations. You're going to get the promised land once you cross the Jordan River. So the people cross this river, and there's thousands of people ready to fight, ready to go into battle. And they cross the Jordan River, and one of the first cities, the city that had been there for thousands of years, is Jericho. And God said, hey, get ready for battle. Joshua 6 Uh, God says this to Joshua, who's the leader of the Israelites, about to go into battle. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. The battle's already over. Jericho is delivered into your hands. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go will go up, everyone straight in. Now look, I'm not 
military expert. I'm not Rambo. I wish I was. But I know that this, if you're going to conquer a nation, this is by far not the best strategy. <laughs> There's no sneak attack plan. There's no, hey, let's get them at night. Let's capture them. God said, hey, you're going to go take over Jericho, but I want you to walk around the city. First day they show up, they get the Ark of the Covenant. They get the priests, they get the ram's horns, they get the trumpets, they get everything ready, and they walk around the city, day one. Jericho, the enemy now sees the Israelites. It's no longer a surprise attack. They see the Israelites walking around Jericho. Day two, they do it again. Day three, you start to wonder, hey, the people of Jericho, should we, should we go out there and fight them? Should we get a surprise attack on them? Because all they're doing is every day they circle the city. Day four, they do it again. And by this time, you think they learned the, the track of the Israelites. They start right there, and they end right there in the same spot. Day five, do it again. Day six, do it again. Day seven, God said, I want you to walk around seven times. And so they go on their first lap, and you can imagine the people of Jericho, like, okay, they're, they're going to do this again. Let's, they're about to hit their ending point, and it's like, all right, let's sit down. It's like, oh, whoa, something's different today. They're not stopping, right? It's like if you have... This is for me. My mom's in the kids' area. She's so you know I'm saying this. But it's like when you think you're ready to go home, and it's like she's talking to somebody else. She's, she's, <laughs> we're, we're not done yet. Something different's happening today. It's going to keep going. They keep going one time, twice, three times. It's like they keep going. And you can imagine Jericho is something different is happening today. We're not going home yet. And then seven times around the city, they blow the trumpets. They give a loud shout, and the complete city just falls. These walls that the people trusted in, they just collapse. The Israelites rush in and take the, Jer the city of Jericho. So now, asking the question, why does the author of Hebrews bring this passage up, and why does he want us to look at this story so that, and then we can talk about faith, is that one of the reasons I think faith moves us into action. Faith, a true faith in God will produce something in us and produce an action within us. That's what the Israelites did. They believed in God's character. And even though it looked dumb, even though it didn't seem logical to walk around the city that many times, the point is not that their strategy plan, their point is faith in God and that led them to do something. So I think this is the exact point the author of Hebrews is getting at. When he's talking about this faith in God, he's talking about what it means to have faith in Jesus. He writes this, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews is looking at them. He's looking at this audience. He's saying, if you claim to have this faith in Jesus, then that faith in Jesus should result in something. That faith in Jesus should make us more loving, make us more encouraging. He's saying that, that should be a response. And so the question we have to ask today is, why don't we love better? If we claim to have a faith in Jesus, we claim to believe in God, why are we not more encouraging? Why do we not want to get together and meet? It's like the author of Hebrews is almost asking, the Old Testament stuff that you're trusting in, that can never produce a true action in you, that can never produce this true response in you. I'm not, I'm not poking fun. I'm not like, man, y'all suck at this whole faith thing. I'm guilty too. I know a lot of times I come in here and listen to a good sermon, listen to great worship, and it's like you leave and you're on this like, man, I just am in love with Jesus, and you're hyped up, and then you leave, and it's like my faith is going to go back in my pocket for a second. My faith is going to go back in my pocket till next Sunday. 
And then when we go to work, we go out in public, we just carry on with our life. It's like we put our faith in our pocket and we don't let the actions that our faith is trying to produce come out. And isn't this what Jesus talked about? Matthew 5 on this Sermon in the Mount, Jesus talking about what it means to be the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your faith in Jesus motivates you to something. And we're not called to hide that. We're not called to put that in our pocket, but Jesus says we're supposed to be a light with it, a light on a hill. And so it's not this motivation that we go home and say, okay, if I'm supposed to love better, if I'm supposed to encourage better, it's not this go home and say, okay, I need to do, do better. It's the fact that you are loved deeply, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. That he is obsessed with you and in love with you, and because of that and because of what he did on the cross, that's the motivation that leads us into action. That's the motivation, and that's the faith that produces something in us. Love what one person said. He said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. That faith produces something in us, but it's a faith in what Jesus has done. And just like the Israelites, they had faith in God's character, and that led them into this action. And so again, the author of Hebrews trying to get them to see, hey, turn back to Jesus Again, he writes, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. So we first saw faith results in action, a faith alone in Jesus, but that should produce something in us. Uh, but I remember thinking about this passage and reading over it. I, I couldn't come up with the idea, why does he talk about seven so much? Like there's like seven priests, seven trumpets. And I know I've been in school and I'm supposed to study the Bible, but this was like, this is so confusing. Seven priests, seven trumpets, seven everything. And then the author of Hebrews says he wants to make the point, hey, seven days. Just like, what is this? And so I did what any person trying to figure it out would do. I, I texted Russell. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But I looked it up and was studying. And I thought and started to realize this theme over and over and over in the book of the Bible. And if you look in Genesis 1 through 3, God creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. Rested from the work he had done. People of Jericho, hey, this theme of seven, seven priests, seven trumpets, seven this. I'm going to give you rest from your enemies, this theme of promised land. Because the Israelites were supposed to remember the Sabbath. They were supposed to rest. And so seven has this idea of rest completeness, wholeness, perfection. And so then we have to ask yourself, why does the author of Hebrews, what thread is he pulling on? Why does he want to bring back up the idea of rest, wholeness, completeness? Because he said, for seven days. He's making some type of point here. Why does he bring up seven days? You know, it's really interesting. If you look in the book of John, John's very specific also with numbers. Seven times Jesus uses the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Why seven, seven, seven? And why is the author of Hebrews, the author of John in the New Testament, pull on this thread? What's the point he's making here? Talking about faith in Jesus, he's making it really simple that your faith, 
our faith in action, but Jesus becomes our rest. Jesus is our wholeness. And the faith in Jesus leads us to rest. It leads us to stop and pause and remember what Jesus has done. And so no longer is it about some promised land. No longer is it about crossing some Jordan River. It's about a faith in Jesus and that leads us to rest. It's faith alone in Jesus and that, that produces a rest in us. Uh, so I said my parents are in the, uh, the kids' room. So my dad doesn't know I took this from the house. But I was cutting the grass the other day and we have these holes in our yard and so we put the bricks in there and put sand on top of them and lay grass over them. So I was cutting the grass the other day and stubbed my toe on this. And so uh, I was like, this will be a good sermon illustration because I wanted to get it out of the yard. And I was thinking about this in the walls of Jericho built on stuff like this. 25 foot high, 20 foot wide, these huge, massive walls. Thinking about this idea of rest, thinking about that Jesus is our holiness and Jesus is our completeness. Think about this, Jericho feeling so secure, Jericho feeling so safe behind these walls. The question then becomes for us, I mean, what are we clinging to? What are we clinging to to try to find rest in? What bricks are we holding on to in life that we think, oh, if I just get this, if I just get that, then I'll find rest, then I'll find holiness, and then I'll find what I'm looking for. Then when I get this brick, then my faith will be complete. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about any type of brick. It's not about anything you can accomplish. It's not about the Old Testament. It's faith and faith in Jesus alone, and he just ends it there. It's faith in Jesus and what you've done. It's not clinging to anything. And so the question we have to ask is, what, what am I clinging to that's not Jesus? What's keeping me from having this full faith in Jesus? Uh, I'll end with this. I work at a summer camp up in the mountains, uh, and me and my brother worked there, and this high schooler came up to me last week, and he was trying to get this idea of faith and how faith relates to works and just all this uh, stuff. And I was trying to explain to him this faith alone in Jesus, but that produces something in us. I remember sitting there, and there was another staff guy with me, and it's three of us in a room, and I'm trying to explain this to him. And I'm like, dude, you're not saying anything. And so finally I'm just like, do you have anything to add? Kind of call him, put him on the spot. And he sits there for a second, he sits back and he thinks to himself and he says, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get me into heaven. I'm like, what? He says, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get me into heaven. That's faith. Faith not in anything that you can come up with. Faith not in anything that you can accomplish. There's nothing that in this world that can give you the faith that will produce an action in you, that can produce a rest in you. The author of Hebrews is trying to get these people to see it's not about the Old Testament. It's about what the Old Testament the whole time had been pointing towards, which is Jesus and what he did. And so then it becomes a faith alone in Jesus. And that's why we take the bread and the juice. It's because we remember what Christ has done on our behalf. That it's rest from sin. That it's over. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That's why we remember, and that's why in a second we're going to worship, is because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I ask the question, what's keeping us from having a full faith in Jesus? And so for some of us uh, today, it might be that we need to let our faith shine, let our faith come out into action. And for some of us, we just need to rest in what God has done for us.
Rest in Jesus. And so what, what does this mean for you this week? I challenge you that if you don't know this faith we're talking about, please come talk to one of us. Because faith in Jesus gives us rest and gives us action that you can't find on your own. Let's pray.